parfait. So we'll have Group B decided today. Argentina face Romania. Cameroon versus USSR. Both happening simultaneously. Dave, you're going to take us through Cameroon-USSR first. Cameroon going into the final game. They're one of the few teams who are actually already true uh, due to having two wins in their first two games, including the opening victory over Argentina, the, the defending champions. There were a few changes in the team, Andre. Um, Anabiak comes back into the team after his sending off in the first game. But I guess it's it's hard to tell exactly how they they approach the game. Roger Mila was on the on the on the bench as he as he tended to be in this tournament and Soviet Union. Maybe they hadn't played to their potential so far and they, they seem to have taken it out on Cameroon in this final game. As Cameroon tend to if you look to nineteen ninety four, it seems to be the case that Usually Cameroon will, will play very strongly in the first two games and then maybe just kind of say fuck it for the final game and get hammered. That, that seems to have been the case on this occasion. 2-0 um, down at halftime. Proldasov and Zygmantovic uh, with early goals put them 2-0 up within half an hour. Early in the second half, Zavarov and Dobrovolsky, Dobrovolsky excuse me, um, added to the scoreline for what was a, a very comprehensive victory. But I don't think you can really say that the Cameroonians played particularly badly. And I don't think the Soviet Union played particularly well. I don't know, maybe it was one game too far in a short period of time for Cameroon and Soviet Union took advantage of that. Would you say, it's? I would say it's probably not in Kono's finest era either. He's beaten twice, I think with the second half goals at the near post each time. And as you said, maybe there's a little bit of um, relaxation or sort of, you know, given all the emotion and, and passion that's gone into the first couple of games for Cameroon, there's probably a little bit of easing off the gas. You wonder where this you have, to, you have to remember that Ancona wasn't prepared for this either. Yeah. <laughs> you, have to, you have to think about USSR, I suppose, in the context as well. Like they, I mean, they clearly had enough about them to go a bit further in this tournament. They weren't like whipping boys of the group really by any means. And it was probably just a side as well as a country coming to the end of their cycle because if you go to the late 80s, I mean, this is such a good team there. They played some great stuff in Mexico 86 and in Germany in 88 for the Euros. Like, not just that they made it that far, but actually played some some really good football and probably had, while not quite a golden generation, the names won't be remembered the same way like Levy Ashen will be. But there's quite a few in there, I'm sure. You have to remember as well, this this was the Soviet Union's last game of World Cup football. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of not not to look too much into the future, but there's kind of a there's kind of a neat sort of um, symmetry in the fact that I alluded to it earlier. Soviet Union winning this game four 0 Four years later, a very similar situation where Cameroon and Russia go into the last game, and um, famously Oleg Selenko scored six goals in a six one victory and um, shared the golden boot for goals scored in one game. I wanted to point out as well, just before moving past the USSR. They, in the, as an interesting piece, I suppose you think really how big this tournament could have been for them, particularly as we mentioned right at the start with the fact that they, I mean, nearly hosted the World Cup, which could have been a very, very different story. And I think SB Nation did a piece on this a while ago on sort of World Cups that never were looking at them and, you know, sort of reaching for what could have been. And there's a great quote in, in terms of 
how often do you see this with FIFA as well and, and bringing the likes of South Africa to the World Cup? They, they say instead of reading history books on the downfall of communism and hearing it blamed on economics, various American presidents, the Cold War arms race and genes, imagine a world where everybody was thinking FIFA president Joe Havelage and pressure of Western tourism uh, was bringing down the Berlin Wall. The power of the World Cup would have been attributed to that tournament and finally sealed the crack between East and West. So, like, I mean, it's an alternative route of history. We could have gone there. FIFA could have had quite another notch on their belt for, you know, look what football can do. Look at the peace it could bring. Yeah, worth, worth noting that, I thought. It was an interesting spin. I don't think too many people accuse Joe Havilland of having contributed to peace in the world. <laughs> I don't well, think too many people accuse the, or attributed peace in the world to the collapse of the USSR either. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you, you do say that, Dave, about Joe Havilland, but wasn't Seth Blatter's one great desire was to win the Nobel Peace Prize? He made that quite evident, which I think probably has a, a fairly low chance now of, of, uh, of happening at this stage. Let's get on to the other game in the group, see how Argentina-Romania get on, because this, uh, as I said, happening sort of simultaneously as, as Cameroon are being absolutely tanked. Is there hope for the USSR yet? There could well be, and uh, either of these sides could still be going out at kickoff. So it's, it's a high-stakes game. It's played in Naples, which obviously is where Maradona wants it. It's clear that things aren't quite right in the Argentinian camp. Maradona's asked about Hadji before the game, and he says we have enough problems without thinking about Hadji. Uh, not entirely clear what he, what he meant by that, but it hasn't been a great tournament for him so far. He hasn't had a shot in the 180 minutes he's played. And he says, all the world hates me. I'm tired of everyone talking about the handball against the Soviet Union. So, yeah, well, obviously... the way it works. <laughs> he does, actually. Maradona is a very interesting character and a very, very thoughtful person when the mood takes him. Just to touch on that a little bit further for context on Maradona I mean I'm sure a lot of people have seen the Asif Kapadia documentary if not it's a really good watch but I think he becomes a a sort of character for fun particularly in this World Cup but in general around this time Maradona and as the situation has problems with drugs worsen he he does because he says some outlandish things become a bit of a laughing stock as you would but I mean again watching that documentary you, you begin I suppose to understand the suffocation from the public and the press. I mean, there's times where it very much looks like um, he's in a goldfish bowl and people are knocking on the glass to get to him. You know, it's, it's quite sad and quite jarring looking back at it. And, and this is probably at the point where he's still Maradona, the player, as opposed to the sort of ex-brilliant enigma uh, who, who's just a bit of a, you know, fallen icon. He, this is probably one of the last points before he's at that. And, and you can see it all, as you said, sort of start to, to crumble down. It probably has already been in his club career just before this. And you would think this would be an escape for him. Uh, and probably sad enough that, that it proves not to be. Yeah. And I mean, you can see that he's still respected and feared from the fact that Romania pick up two yellow cards in the first 10 minutes of this game. Uh, Haji and Lakatouche, both for fouls on Maradona. Now, clearly, that's, that's tactical. That's, you know, those are reducers. Two players who are unlikely to be throwing many tackles around are told to go in and hammer to Maradona early because, you know, you can pick up a yellow card. Well, not in Lakatouche's case, actually, because he's, he's now suspended. But uh, certainly, I think Haji probably got word that he could have a free nibble at, at Maradona. Um, this Haji pro- should have been booked in the first game, shouldn't he? Haji. He wasn't playing in the first game. 
he played the second game, but he only played 50 minutes or so uh, mm. and was pretty unimpressive. Oh, okay. You re- really do begin to see um, what the hype is about in this game because he's, he's making absolute clowns of the Argentinians. This is really Hadji's emergence on, on, the, on the world level. Um, Kanisha has a decent chance in the first few minutes, but then it's kind of all about Romania for the rest of the half. Uh, Goikachea saves well from Lakatouche and a Hadji free kick. Um, at half time, though, the lads back in Dublin aren't particularly impressed. Um, this is what Eamon Dunphy and Johnny Giles have to say about Haji. He's the new Glenn Hoddle, as far as I'm concerned, says Eamon. Um, not, <laughs> not intended to be a compliment. Um, Giles says he's supposed to be the new Maradona. He needs Maradona's brain transplanted. He looks brainless. So the lads on the money there, as they, as they would continue to be for for decades thereafter. Um, yeah, kind of, kind of stupid comments even at that stage about a player who even in this game had shown shown what evident class he already had. He'd already signed for Real Madrid for £4 million, which was a pretty big fee at the time, particularly to a, to an Eastern Bloc club. Yeah, and he, he creates probably a, a chance that should be taken. He, he weaves past two, two players on the right. He gets the byline, pulls it back for Ballant, who's come in for this game. Um, for Radichoyu, but he hits it straight at, at Goikachea. He doesn't have a great game, I have to say. He, he makes a couple of good saves, but he looks very suspect otherwise. Um, but, how, but, but how good do some of those saves look? You know what I mean? Some of them are picture perfect. There's a free kick, particularly, which he dives for. And I know it's not, it's not heading top corner. It's a, probably a good height for him to grab, but it's still an impressive form, I'll say, as if he was, a, <laughs> you know, as if he was uh, some sort of ballerina. A bit like Higita. I, they don't, the goalkeeper doesn't need to be good. I just need to be able to enjoy watching him. Absolutely. I think, I think aesthetics is an underrated component of goalkeeping, particularly when, when goalkeepers today just don't make mistakes. That's all you need to, to be a good goalkeeper at the top level is just don't make mistakes. You don't really see spectacular yeah. shot stoppers now. Just on Guy Kachaya, because we probably touched on him a little bit before coming in for Pompidou, but never really sort of gave a background in the sense of how big an opportunity this was for him because not only was he behind Pompidou at national level, he was also behind Pompidou at, at River at the time or, or I think shortly before that even. So he's very much taken his chance here. I mean, when we're saying he's a of, of the backup goalkeepers who are probably p- playing for their clubs, coming along for the jolly up on the World Cup and then going, I don't want to be in there. Like, probably seems to have reveled in this and, and probably a fairly defining moment for him because, I mean, Goes on to have a, a decent international career, a bit of mixed club fortune. I think he, the club he ends up going to in France shortly after this goes bankrupt and he ends up back in, in South America somewhere. But, you know, he's, he's probably at the, the height of his career at certain points in this. As well as that, I think he gets a Pepsi ad, which, I mean, that's, that's the best you can hope for. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's kind of notable that for so many players, Italian 90 was really the highlight of, the, of their careers. I think that's one of the things that makes it such a memorable tournament, even if the football wasn't always, um, wasn't always unimpeachable. Argentina take the lead after 62 minutes, and Maradona does contribute to this one. It's, it's a fantastic swinging corner um, that Monzon heads across goal and into the net to put Argentina one goal up. Possibly not, not the most Argentinian of goals or not the most uh, Maradona-esque of goals in that it's a header from a set piece for Monzon, but... Um, a very, very welcome and valuable one because they're really up against it. A minute after Argentina scores, when the USSR get their fourth goal against Cameroon. So at this point, Romania are actually going out. 
they're behind, if things finish as they are, they're behind uh, Romania or they're behind the USSR on goals scored. So obviously the, that's, the, that's the kick in the backside they need because shortly after that, they very nearly equalized when Lakatouche swings over a corner from the left. Goikachea rushes out madly and gets absolutely nowhere near it. And Andone heads wide of a completely open goal. An absolute sitter, really bad goalkeeping. Looks like it's going to be costly, but it's not because just a few minutes later, in fact, just seven minutes after Argentina's goal, uh, Romania equalised with, in many ways, a fantastic goal. Um, the ball is played up to Lakatusha's feet. He lays it off to Haji. Haji plays just this impudent black back heel that's just gorgeous to watch. It sends Popescu down the right. Pescu plays it back to Lakatouche. Lakatouche plays a brilliant cross to the back post where Klein, the fullback, has got up. He heads it across goal, bounces in goal mouth, and Balint heads it high to the net with Goikachea nowhere, actually. I think Goikachea could have recovered a bit better, but um, it's in many ways, although it's a kind of a, a simple enough header at the end, it's, it's a goal that shows the quality that was in this Romanian team. Um, there's no further scoring, and both sides go through 1-1. I'm getting the feeling that you don't like Goikachea. I think he must be a Coke drinker, not a Pepsi drinker or something like that. Cause it's, it's I really like Goikachea. Just... It's just, it's just I, I've, been surprised, well, I've been surprised by a lot of things that turned out not to be as true as I remember them, looking back at this goalkeeper and one, at this tournament, and one of them was that Goikachea uh, basically rebuffed the entire world by himself. These are a selection of today's Italian newspapers and they're all crucifying Maradona. Let's have a look at some of the headlines. La Gazzetta della Sport, the most popular of the Italian newspapers, says Maradona KO'd, Maradona humiliated. Tutto Sport says Maradona ripped apart. And Corriello della Sport says Maradona risks elimination. And they also say Argentina really humiliated. Well, let's have a look and check in then with the Irish camp because uh, it's all gone a bit mad over there, Sherlock. It absolutely has. Um, Jack Charlton has cancelled his press conference. He's given the players a day off, except for those who didn't play uh, against Egypt. And the recriminations really are beginning to set in. Um, John Aldridge, not in the most dignified way, way, I have to say, is kind of begging openly in the pages of the newspapers not to be dropped for the Netherlands game. He's saying he felt he was very unlucky against Egypt. He just thinks he needs a break. He feels in good form. He's going to score. Um, John Aldridge, a player who ultimately would fail to score in 57 of his 69 internationals and would get 42% of his international goals against Latvia. Obviously, uh, still feels he's worth a place in the team. Um, good news for Ireland is that Andy Townsend doesn't have a broken cheekbone, as has been initially diagnosed. He should be okay for the Netherlands game. Probably deserves a bit of credit for playing on as well. As, as much as we like digging Andy Townsend, apparently. Uh, you know, a bit of credit there where it's due. He, he played on for the cause. Absolutely. But one person who's definitely not giving any credit is the Egyptian manager, um, who has been, I think, very stung by some of the criticism. In fact, the Egyptian media has been very stung by some of Jack Charlton's criticism when he said, you know, Egypt were mindlessly negative and that they didn't come to play football. A journalist for the Al-Akbar newspaper accuses him of arrogance and racism. The Egyptian manager, El Dahani, says, unlike, says of England, ahead of, you know, kind of looking ahead to their game against England, 
Unlike Ireland, they do not play football like tennis. Ireland played no football against England. They played no football against Egypt and they will play no football against Holland. <laughs> Which is pretty harsh, but... Uh, They've got our number there. Uh, yeah, well, it's, it reminds me a little bit of sort of Christian Eriksen's put-downs when he was talking about us recently. as like, yeah, they are scared to play football because they know when they come out to it. It's like, all right, Christian, take it easy. And they just hammered us. Well, in fairness, I, I do think it's, in this instance, it's more, of a, it's more of a response to the criticism that Egypt had gotten. I think Egypt had unreasonably you know, taken the approach, look, Ireland are a better team, a higher-ranked team. What did you want us to do? We got the yeah. draw. And not only that, I mean, you mentioned in the previous one, in the build-up to this, that they're, you know, sort of like, oh, well, the fact that you're Muslim affects your football. And then, yeah. <laughs> the, the, you know, the relative obscurity of, of the team. It, it's, it's right throughout this tournament, isn't it? It's, it's the same with Cameroon causing the upset in the first game. It's the same with Costa Rica, be, Costa Rica beating Scotland. It's this idea that whether it's in the sort of British press or British and Irish or maybe just European press in general, that because of these, we don't know a whole lot about these obscure teams, we should be miles better than them. And then it's annoying when we're not. So the best thing is to sort of question their culture and dig their football. Mm-hmm. And well, I think respect on you, the, these, the commentaria is led by the likes of Ron Atkinson and Rodney Marsh. I, I think as well, the more I kind of look back on it, that you know, the reaction to Ireland-Egypt probably had less to do with the game than just with the sense of anticipation that had built up and that suddenly was very deflated. Like they'd been, the RDS had set up an Italian village um, for the Egypt game, where six thousand people came in to watch the match on, watch the match on a big screen and have some kind of cheap early nineties pasta concoction. I imagine um, that kind of thing. You know, when there's a sense in which the Irish footballing public, which at this stage was the whole public, was kind of all dressed up with nowhere to go after the after the Egypt game. So I think that's what contributed to a lot of it. I can't get the thought of, of uh, just the RDS a bit like after a festival covered in just jars of ragu. Well, what have we got elsewhere then, Terlock, outside of, uh, outside of uh, all the crazy goings on in, in Ireland and the fallout of the match? Yeah, I just thought it was, it was it's interesting to look at kind of the, what's happening away from football and I suppose in alternative areas of entertainment. Um, the Savoy was showing simultaneously not simultaneously, as in they're on different screens, but uh, uh, Pretty Woman, Look Who's Talking and Weekend at Bernie's, which are kind of three real blockbuster com- comedies of their era. And Shirley Valentine was still playing, I think, as well. So, uh, yeah. Pretty solid, pretty solid selection there. I mean, I mean which, which one are you going to see there, lads, if that's your option? I'm going to see Harlem Nights at the Carlton. Good film with Eddie Murphy. Dave? I haven't seen any of them, so I don't know. Oh, music journalist for you. I'll, I'll, I've seen I'll, six films and they're all Rocky films. Not better. What are you, Michael Owen? Didn't Michael Owen say he, he'd only ever yeah. watched four films in his life? One of them was Cool Runnings that he didn't like. It. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, come on, Michael, for God's sake. Like Victor, Victor Wanyama or something. Yeah, uh, just a, I just had spaghetti today and I liked it. <laughs> a tip for you, Dave. It, it, another thing that was showing at the time was the Robert De Niro, Sean Penn um, version of We're No Angels. If you ever get a chance, watch the original. Uh, starring Humphrey Bogart and Peter Ustinov, who was actually just knighted on this weekend as well, alongside, unfortunately, the now Sir Jimmy Savile. Yeah. To take it back onto a nicer note, I, I just like that dig at Robert De Niro for no reason whatsoever. That's not his fault. It's just a, it's just a crap version of a very good film. 
what a way what a way to to end this digs at the Nero and talking about Jimmy Savile you recommended that film I'm going to recommend that if you've never watched look who's talking look who's talking to and look who's talking now Dave you've got to get on that that's that's it's got to be up there with some of the best 90s films of all time yeah I I, I try to ration out my uh, Scientology to no more than <laughs> one, one a month Another one for you, Declan. Guess another film that was in. Guess, guess which sequel of Nightmare on Elm Street we were up to. Oh, God. Four? No, it was Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. It's only 1990. <laughs> I have seen Nightmare on Elm Street. Which one? Five? I think it's Nightmare on Elm Street 2, where I can't remember, but there's some scene where they're out camping or something, and some kids head ends up on a spike that's probably in all of them it's probably in every single one of them four games to bring you tomorrow west germany versus colombia yugoslavia versus uae austria take on the usa and hosts italy once again in action will it be the same 11 almost certainly they take on czechoslovakia